Hi everyone, I'm Pamelia Chia and you're listening to the Singapore Noodles podcast. Today's episode is another one in our Everyday Singaporean series, which is a series where I speak with Singaporeans who have stories or interesting perspectives to share. My guest on this week's episode is Leong Man Wei, who runs Sire Story, which is a platform that seeks to promote cultural exchange and understanding between Singaporeans and foreign domestic workers through activities such as communal growing events, market visits, and cooking sessions. Maybe we can start by talking about yourself and about your helper, Rini. So how long has it been since Rini started working for your family? She's been with my family for almost as long as I can remember, like since I was one. And she is still with me right now. So it's been almost um, 21 years um, yeah, since she's been living with my family. We have grown quite close and she's like a second mother to me. And for my um, mom herself, I think she is a friend that she can trust. Um, but ultimately, she does have her own family back home and she is a mother herself. So I do hope that um, eventually she can be, she can return home and be united again, connect back with the family. Where is she from? Um, she's from Indonesia, specifically Java, but she's lived in many different areas like um, Bali as well as Tanjong Pinang. So what kind of food does she normally cook for your family? I mean, she's lived with us for a very, very long time. So the cuisines that she makes are really all across the world. Also because my family is like a, um, one that loves food a lot. Mm. So, I mean, you have the typical Chinese dishes and then our traditional Cantonese meals that my mom has taught her. But also um, we enjoy like Western food, Malay food, her own Indonesian food. Um, like most of these dishes... Um, I would say she kind of learned on her own or brought in her own personal or cultural knowledge to share with us. But there are there are of course um like dishes that she's learned from my mom and that my mom taught to her from the beginning. But through the years, um she's brought in her own knowledge to like change things up or um she's learned them from her friends outside and like, you know, just Googling on YouTube, like with technology becoming more um, accessible and like you know YouTube all these open source recipes mm. yeah so when she first came to work for your family was it your mom who taught her how to cook dishes that are like family favorites my family is more um, traditional in terms of like the Chinese meals we eat so we always have like you know the rice and the dishes and you have that like special herbal soup or whatever so um, my mom taught her like a few of the main dishes um, that my grandma taught her and yeah, just like local favourites like I don't know, sweet and sour, you know mm. um, how to cook veggies like the steam whey or like steam fish for many of them um, cooking and like preparing meals is like one of their primary roles in a lot, a lot of households so in terms of preserving um, whether it's like national or um, fam- familial mm. food heritage um, they play a very important role in giving Singaporeans access to certain foods. Like if you're just speaking about um, family food heritage, like what I shared earlier about how my mom um, is the one who taught my helper to cook our traditional Cantonese dishes. 
um, they are the ones that learn from the parents how to cook a certain dish and then they are the ones recreating it for many, many years on while I as a child, I've not actually learned it properly myself. I think one interesting thing I've observed is that many Singaporeans do not know um, how to create like specific dishes like let's say um, like chili crab or like hokkien mee and things like that. But um, the helpers are the ones who have actively um, tried to learn how to cook these dishes themselves and then they recreate it within their homes or it's the employers that tell them like, I don't know how to cook this dish, can you cook this dish at home? And then they are the ones that learn it and then they bring it to their homes and then for those um, employers who do not just like enjoy eating but have the interest to learn the cooking as well, they, the way they, they, they learn to create these Singaporean dishes is through um, their helpers. And I think another interesting thing is that um, for helpers who have been here for a long time and they have worked with like multiple families, they sort of do bring the knowledge and like food heritage from different families across the different families. So um, like during um, employee helper interviews or things like that, you ask like, oh, do you work from like uh, Singaporean family before, like what foods you know how to cook, and then based on like their um, portfolio of families, um, then they actually have um, recipes from many different families that they've learned over the years, and I think it's interesting how um, also for some of them who have worked with expat families they bring um, the food culture of these families as well into the homes of Singaporeans. We are really like a rojak nation, right? And then at some point, you know, like um, experts or immigrants become Singapore citizens. Then I was thinking about how um, with the FTWs I've met who work, from, who work for Indian national families, you know, they learn to make chapati and prata from scratch and things like that. And then um, the next time they could be bringing it to another family, another household, then that is a way of introducing um, Indian Muslim food or like Indian food culture to uh, a Chinese family. And in a way that's also not too far from Singaporean food heritage, if you're thinking about it as a combination of many different food cultures. Mm. Yeah, and when helpers um, learn all these different recipes, there are also times where they change things up by um, injecting their own personal knowledge or cultural knowledge in terms of like how they prepare food. And then I guess in that way, they're directly shaping um, food heritage in Singapore. I think those are really, really great points. Like I never really thought about about it that way. Like this cross-pollination of different mm. cultures, right? Um, and and also fusing their own culture into the food. I remember when my helper was still with us, um, she used to make this incredible roast chicken. And instead of, you know, um, in Western cuisine, when you do a roast chicken, there's usually a lot of like butter and then just salt, maybe some thyme or some rosemary, and then it goes into to the oven and bakes. But the roast chicken that she did was very like Filipino. Um, like she would marinate it with, uh, honey with a bit of soy sauce and then she'll spread 
a little bit of butter and then she bakes it and then we'll eat it with like sambal belacan and, and kalamansi. And it's so interesting, you know. And then when she left, I asked her, you know, how do you, how do you make this thing? And then she, she told me all the ingredients that she used and I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, but like what you said, it's really like a, a rojak of different cultures. And I feel that Singaporean food culture is very malleable. Like we assimilate a lot of uh, facets of different cultures. Like, like say, uh, we really love Korean food, Japanese food, and we love Western food. But why do you think that the cuisines of these foreign domestic workers have not fully assimilated into Singaporean food culture? So for example, why is it that Burmese food or Filipino food is not considered mainstream? I think like first of all we don't really have like much access to these. Like if you look outside the number of like eateries or um restaurants or like even like ingredients that are specific to these cultures, they they aren't as popular or uh, mainstream as the those that are more glamorized in media, like um the Western, Korean, Japanese food cultures. But um I think also it comes to um, general impressions that they have about these food cultures. I think one of two of the things that I think stand out more are like regarding health. So some impressions that I know um, Singaporeans have for some of these food cultures is that they are more oily or the taste is too strong or like not to their liking for their preferences. But otherwise it would be like dietary restrictions like for mutton or beef which I know is quite important in um, at least for my auntie um, in Indonesian food culture those are meats that she enjoys a lot more but otherwise yeah I think it's really it comes down to exposure the interest to engage um, with the culture but I think recently I did notice that um, NTUC had like this Filipino food fair where they started to bring in like um, adobo snacks like adobo flavored peanuts and then like canned food with like um, mangosteen gum and like banana pineapple spread or things like that. In the ingredients space a big part as well in our access to these food cultures. From my knowledge a lot of the ingredients that um, FDWs prepare their traditional foods with are more accessible in like wet specific wet markets or like in their um so-called enclaves in like peninsula plaza and like lucky plaza but if these ingredients were more um like accessible in mainstream supermarkets i think that would make some difference i think it's also a demand and supply kind of thing i mean if no one is really actively cooking these cuisines then you know we cannot expect there to be more shops that want to stock these ingredients so i think it's like a, a bit of a chicken and egg problem can you tell me a little bit more about Sire story i know that it's a passion project that you started at the start of covid so can you tell me what it is like how would you define it okay so when it started, I would have called it a project, but right now I would like to call it a community because of what it's going to do and not an organization because that means um, when I started it, it was really just with a doggy growing challenge and toolkit that I shared online with the Singaporean 
FDW community. So it's just a challenge where I ask people to grow their own bean sprouts at home. With that, so that's like that growing component, and then I had a conversation component where I wanted the activity to be a platform they could um, start conversations at home between FDW and Singaporean, hmm. and I called it like Sprouts for Conversation. So like finding out about um, their agricultural practices at home, or like your you know conversations over food culture, which enable um, deeper understanding of the person on a personal and cultural level, and then. With growing and talking, there's also lastly the cooking component. So I encouraged um, them to cook dalgi in a way that the FDW uh, was familiar with. Beyond the dalgi challenge, I started a bunch of um, discussion threads and gardening mini gardening projects, like regrowing kitchen scraps at home. And I just invited um, FDWs and Singaporeans to join that community. I've been heartened by these sort of exchanges that occur, not just like between Singaporeans and FDWs. What interests me more are the conversations between the FDWs from different countries and like nationalities. Why was it so important for you to start a community? Like, what kind of problems did you see solving or addressing in society? I wanted Singaporeans to get to know um, foreign domestic workers on a more personal level, like beyond their role as just a helper and just like seeing them for the work that they do. Because I think that having that personal understanding of a person would naturally change the way you interact with them. Whether um, you're an employee or not, I think that understanding is necessary. Um, like at least for me, understanding um, my own auntie and her life back home has made me grow closer to her and change like the way I try to shape her relationship between my other family members and her. I think when you get to know someone on a more personal level, you see that they're also not that much different from you because that is the impression that most of us have that they are very different. It's true that they are different, but I think there's also a lot more in common that we need to acknowledge. We all have the same needs as like human beings. How do you avoid your community being kind of like an echo chamber? Because I, I can imagine that a lot of people who join your community, um, if they are Singaporean, they would already be people who are passionate about such issues. So how do you reach out to Singaporeans who might be, as you described, more apathetic, more of the kind of people who harbor a kind of us and them mentality? How do you reach out to them instead of just so-called preaching to the choir? Yes, I think that's where like um, why Sayo's story is positioned. It's mainly based around like gardening and cooking activities as like the bridge for communities. So for the Singaporeans that I kind of invite to join the community, also the, the disclaimer that the invitation is like an informal one and not like, you know, you need to sign a membership or anything. But the Singaporeans that I invited um, come from two different groups. So one would be like the, those that you said, they're already converted, who have some interest in engaging with FDWs. But the other group um, that I've invited are those who have, the interest in gardening or cooking specifically. And I was hoping that it was through um, 
these interests that they share with FDWs that they'll get to know um, FDWs more based on those activities and from there um, move into um, deeper conversations about their personal and cultural backgrounds and knowledge. So yeah, I was, I'm really hoping to like ride on the interest in like growing your own food or just the fact that Singapore is a foodie nation to bring our communities together. Can you tell me about how you managed to build a community, especially for, um, you know, finding these foreign domestic workers to join your, your community on Facebook or on Instagram? How did you get the word out? Before I started the Facebook group, I was in two uh, separate Facebook groups. So um, one was like, you know, the Singapore like urban gardening community groups and then also like Singapore home cook groups. But then... I was also in um, a group that was like a foreign domestic worker forum. So um, from observing the discussion threats that were happening on both platforms, I was seeing like how much synergies there were in the kind of conversations and activities on both groups. That There were so many things that they were doing and sharing in common about gardening and cooking. That I wanted to bring them together. So um, I really just sent like informal invitations to FDWs and people in the Singapore Urban Garden groups and just said like, hey, this is a new group um, that I hope can be an inclusive community for both our communities. I think I was just surprised like how open they were to just joining based on an a shady invitation like that but I mean I did use like the fact that I'm still a student to my advantage to like give it some I wouldn't say credibility but it's just like oh maybe like school project kind of thing but then I think that helped a bit like they kind of made them uh, more open yeah. to engaging with me um, but otherwise yeah I was surprised by how open they were to joining and then some of them um, just like invited their friends like they work a lot based on like um, word of mouth mm-hmm. so you know when one one of them joins and it becomes like a larger group of them joining together mm. and yeah so you said that so you said that Sayo story started with um, a very simple project of growing bean sprouts so how has it grown now what kind of um, activities do you guys do now um, for foreign domestic workers, as much as possible, we like to hold physical activities for them since they're cooked up home most of the time. Um, but online, um, I would say the main activities are just informal sharings of your personal gardening activities at home or like cooking projects. And then as and when um, volunteers and myself will share um, gardening projects and tips, although I hope that these can be more curated in the long run rather than the more like casual way they're being done right now. My ultimate aim, I guess like, you know, gardening and cooking and like food is just um, the entry point for um, getting to know these people on a more personal level. So I do try to use um, like plants and food to start conversations about other things beyond that. Yeah, so that's like online, but um, physically we hold things like um, nature walks and recently like with a partner, we also have like coastal cleanups. So I think I didn't mention at the start, but um, one of the 
core objectives of Cyrus Story is also about environmental sustainability. Um, since the FTWs come from countries that are some of those most affected by climate change. So I think they very much need to be part of the conversation that we're having um, about the environment, um, even if we might not be using the same terms. Mm. And also because of like the roles that they perform within the household, they are very uh, intertwined with um, the environment and like things like waste. So tackling like food wastage together or you know, if you're talking about food, it's cooking it, but it's also a lot about how you how you can grow it as well. Recently, you went to take our market to participate in Pasta um, Pasar, right? How, how did that go? Yeah, so what happened during um, that Pasta Pasar event, they kind of identified um, what ingredients they knew and they were familiar with and they shared that with us. But on our end, there was also a lot of sharing about ingredients I thought they would know since they've lived here in Singapore for about eight years. And I was quite surprised that they didn't know a lot of local ingredients. Um, I also became more conscious of how language plays a part in how you navigate a wet market. I think it's very intuitive for me to engage with the store owners in Chinese when I saw that, you know, Chinese uncle or whatever, like, oh, this is some, like, you just ask them what it is. It's so easy for me to ask. And then I realized that for my Indian FTW friend, these conversations were not have been possible for her, especially if she visited alone or did not have that same language to communicate with the local people in. I think if we're talking about um, integrating or helping foreign domestic workers to adjust to Singaporean culture and life here, we really do need to be a part of it and more active in facilitating that process, especially when there's a language barrier involved. So what were some of the interesting edible plants that you guys learned about at the wet market on this trip? Um, I think peak plant, like turkey berry. So how they used in curries, if not like, although I would say that I've researched a lot about these um, before, and like, so I wasn't too surprised myself, but some of the um, interesting sites were like Boa Kaloa, although, that, although the Indian FTWs didn't know about that. Um, but I think it was also interesting to just see like how one plant um, and its many different parts was sold separately and used in different ways. So like if you just talk about banana, right? You have the banana blossom and then you have the banana florets and then the leaves and then the banana stem. Everything was there. And then bamboo, bamboo shoots, it also came in many, many different versions. I'm not sure why. So there's like the raw stem itself that's like just this huge like tree trunk looking thing. And then there's also like the boiled version already. And then there's just like the sliced up ones. So what do you think the average Singaporean can do to help for foreign domestic workers feel more at home in Singapore and to assimilate better in general? I would say um, food is a good starting point. 
with a very low barrier. I know like it takes two ways to clap. Some of the, the defense that Singaporeans give for not engaging with the FTW community more is that it needs to be two ways, right? That they don't have an interest to engage with us. Like they just want to be with their own community, hang out in their own place. But I think there's a problem um, with this impression or this understanding because for foreign domestic workers and Singaporeans, there is already that power in balance. There's already like a hierarchy in the relationship and Singaporeans need to be the ones to take the initiative to reach out to them and engage with them for them to feel open to sharing about themselves with us and engaging with us as well because otherwise what I've observed is that many of them kind of isolate themselves they already have that preconceived idea that Singaporeans of a particular race are less friendly or have no interest to engage with us. On our part, even though like it's a two-way thing, we do need to take more initiative to be the ones engaging with them, um, encouraging them to share about themselves with us and doing likewise. And yeah. do you feel that talking about foreign domestic worker issues is something that is difficult to talk about or is sensitive in Singapore? Oh, that definitely. I think during the circuit breaker, like it, you know, it exposed a lot of the vulnerabilities of the community and people. Um, Singaporeans became more vocal online. Like we have more um, ground up initiatives and advocates on social media talking about FTW issues more. But I don't think that that has made it that it still remains a taboo even with all the conversations that have sparked from that. Even just like how to address them, right? Do you call them helpers, maids, foreign domestic workers, migrant domestic workers, overseas foreign workers? Like I had to do so much research just to find out like how to address them or decide on one because of how many um just how loaded because of, yeah, yeah. Mm. um i hope that foreign domestic workers and singaporeans can be seen together in physical spaces um like whether it's growing or cooking food together like to my knowledge there are actually these um things happening but it's just that they're not documented online because of what um because of the reservations that you get regarding public um reactions mm. so i do know of some stories about um fdw's being engaged in community um gardens and like community centers or maybe some even schools but um these are not um, shared with the public, but I do know that they are already happening. Mm. And I just hope that maybe Sayu's story could be involved in getting um, these, la these ladies like a plot of land where they can grow um, their own food outside of their employees' homes, but also be in involved in engaging with the other Singaporeans in that same community or like plot of land and exchanging knowledge and like harvest. Um, can I also ask when you first started Side Story and you told your family and friends what you were doing, what, what their responses were? Were they all positive or was it mixed? 
To be very honest, it took me a long time to actually um, communicate like the whole, the full details of what I was doing to my family members. Like for me, it's really easy to share with um, strangers or like, you know, public or like partners, emails or whatever, like what I'm doing, what I want to do. But with my family, I would say I I struggled a bit. I think it's like an Asian thing also, (laughs) Mm -hmm. just like general conversation in general, but there were some difficulties for me to share, but generally they are supportive of what I'm doing. And they also do know um, the huge role that my auntie plays in inspiring me to do what I do. What do you think is the perception of the older generation of foreign domestic workers? And why do you think that there is this gap? Okay, so like besides um, the perception that they are like low-wage workers who do um, like jobs that aren't as highly valued. Um, I think there are also some negative stereotypes that comes with each community or nationality. And there are, of course, all these stories circulating about, you know, so-called uh, bad needs and how they cannot be trusted or things like that. But I would say that it is a very complicated issue when you're talking about helper-employer relationships. It's not just that you have bad needs, there are also bad employers as well. So I wouldn't say it's like an FTW or Singaporean thing, but just a people thing in general that when there are these um, so-called horror stories, it's really more of an individual person thing rather than something you should apply to understanding a whole community or culture. I think there are a lot of um, stereotypes when it comes to foreign domestic workers and sometimes when you hear of the kind of things that Singaporeans say about about them, you realise that these things are things that you know, if you apply it to a fellow Singaporean, you wouldn't think that there is anything wrong. So for example, one of the things that I always hear is, oh, you know, you better keep your your mate at home. If not, she'll run off and find a boyfriend. But I mean, the thing is, you know, this person is isolated, you know, and who, who doesn't want to look for love? Who doesn't want to look for support, right? I mean, if yeah. this was any other Singaporean, I feel that... Um, we wouldn't be talking about them in that way or things like, oh, you know, even considering not giving helpers any days off. I think if we apply that to any Singaporean, that would be considered abuse. But a lot of Singaporeans don't think so. And I think it's very, very frustrating because for me, because I feel that it's so entrenched in the mindsets of older people. For example, I love my grandma and she's like a great person, but she always refers to her helper as her servant. Like that's the exact mm. word that she uses. Like she'll be like, oh, you know, today my ser- my servant didn't cook this thing for me or like my servant forgot to uh, sweep the floor or something. And, you know, I feel that sometimes it's already so normalized in their minds to think about um, foreign domestic workers in that way. And I think when we, th- when, we, when we talk about passion projects to the older generation, it's always, I mean, the value of starting passion projects are sometimes measured with different yardsticks or different metrics as to what younger people would. I mean, for people in our generations, it's always about, you know, the values that we stand for, 
um, self-actualization, passion. But for the older generation, it's always about, oh, you know, why are you doing this? Does it even make you money? You know, that kind of thing. That's why I always hear, like, for example, if I was to, if I were to do a, a new project, you know, they will always ask, you know, does it make money? Can you make a living with it? So I can imagine how difficult it must have been to, to talk to your parents about something like that because I feel like even though I've covered a lot of topics through this podcast, talking about foreign domestic worker issues feels the most sensitive out of everything that my guests and I have been talking about on this show. It's almost as controversial as talking about things like racism in Singapore. And so, you know, I think it's really fantastic what you're doing. <laughs> Honestly, even just like um, being, being someone talking about FTW issues, I think you need to be, it requires a lot of courage because of um, what it means to put yourself out there and advocate for a community you're not actually part of. Thank you so much for talking to me and I feel that your perspective is one that is pretty rare in Singapore and people don't often think about such things. So keep up the good work. There wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. My guest on the show was Neil Man Wei. You can find her on Saya underscore story on Instagram. And if you'd like to sign up for the weekly newsletter for more updates and cooking tips, then visit sgpnoodles.substack.com, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K. Once again, thank you so much for all your support towards Singapore Noodles, and I'll catch you all next week.